At Ashurst, we acknowledge First Nations peoples as the traditional custodians of the land on which we work in Australia and pay our respects to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. Hello and welcome to ESG Matters at Ashurst. My name is Helena Yeaman and I am the Social Impact Manager for Modern Slavery in Ashurst. Following on from our Matilda Ashurst podcast, which was released in June, this is the second in a four-part series where we discuss the legacy of our founder William Ashurst's four daughters, Elizabeth, Matilda, Caroline and Emily, who poured their energy into the fight to abolish slavery and to attain equality for women. You can find out more about these initiatives by reading our Modern Slavery Action Plan, which can be found on the Responsible Business page of our website. Our guests today are the recipients of the Caroline Ashurst Award. Caroline was a passionate advocate for the abolition of slavery, as well as the suffragette movement. This award supports future trainees to spend their time supporting Anti-Slavery International in the UK and Anti-Slavery Australia in Sydney before joining the firm. Through this, we hope to increase awareness in modern slavery issues amongst our newest stakeholders and nurture future connections between those organisations and our future leaders, Natasha Hurst. Here's our conversation. So welcome to our three Ashurst colleagues. We've got Sammy, Connor and Adela here today. So perhaps you could just introduce yourselves. Connor, starting with you, just explain kind of uh, what your role is now in the firm and um, which Caroline Ashurst Award you had. Hi, uh, I'm Connor Tarpey. I was the inaugural recipient of the Caroline Ashurst Award in Australia uh, and I uh, joined the firm in the beginning of last year uh, and I'm currently uh, a lawyer in the financial regulation practice uh, in Sydney. Thanks, Connor. Sammy? Hi, I received the Carolyn Ashurst Award last year in 2021 uh, to work with Anti-Slavery Australia. Uh, I joined Ashurst at the end of 2020 as a summer clerk and then rejoined this year uh, uh, as a graduate. And so I'm now in my second graduate rotation, uh, currently working in the pro bono team. Thanks, Sammy. And Adela? Hi, um, I'm Adela Mackey. I joined Anti-Slavery International through the Caroline Ashurst Award in May 2021. Um, I've since joined Ashurst as a trainee solicitor in March 2022, and I'm in my first seat um, in dispute resolution. Thank you. Um, so Connor and Sammy, let's hear from you first, as you're both um, recipients who um, went to Anti-Slavery Australia. Um, Connor, perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about Anti-Slavery Australia and what um, their work and focus is on. Anti-Slavery Australia uh, is the only specialist legal practice research and policy centre committed to the abolition of modern slavery in Australia. It was set up by Professor Jennifer Byrne, who was working at a team 
with a team of, of students in the University of Technology, Sydney Community Law Centre in 2003, so nearly 20 years ago now. Uh, over time, this project's expanded to become what Anti-Slavery Australia is today. Uh, and even though it's still part of the university, it operates as an independent legal practice. Its primary focus is in advocating for policy changes and partnering with other organisation, but it also provides free legal advice and representation to those affected by modern slavery, uh, as well as a service called My Blue Sky, which focuses on forced marriage. Uh, so far, ASA has provided free and confidential legal advice to over 500 clients from over 40 countries and has also secured over one and a half million in compensation for victims. Uh, slavery is a really barbaric practice, uh, but at the same time, it's a very complex issue that transcends borders, jurisdictions and cultures. And those that traffic and trade in slavery have become increasingly shrewd and sophisticated. So tackling this issue involves a multi-pronged approach uh, that not only lifts people out of these conditions, but advocates and changes wider societal attitudes and support systems through policy and, and legislation. From what you said, a lot of people might think that slavery isn't really something that Australians have to worry about. I mean, even I've been to Australia all the way from the UK and it doesn't seem like a country that would have victims of slavery. Can you set the scene? You know, what's the picture in Australia? Is there slavery in Australia? What's the problem? Yeah, so I think a lot of people think that slavery is sort of a thing of the past and um, is uh, either a very small issue or, or not an issue at all in today's sort of modern Western society. But unfortunately, uh, slavery is more prevalent than ever in many ways. There are over 40 million people in modern slavery today. Within Australia, forced marriage is also still huge issue and, and as is, it is in the rest of the world. Um, with the onset of the pandemic, modern slavery has only gotten worse. Uh, 16 million people are exploited as part of the global supply chain, 25 million in forced labor. And with the war in Ukraine and other humanitarian crises, the risks of modern slavery and human trafficking, both within Europe and the rest of the world uh, have, have only risen. These people, along with the 5 million victims of sex trafficking and exploitation, are some of society's most vulnerable and overlooked members. Uh, and ASA is, is doing their part to lift them out of this horrible issue. Thanks, Connor. That's, um, yeah, just awful to hear. Um, perhaps we could move to Sammy. Um, Sammy, have you got anything to add to this? Is there anything that surprised you about your work with Anti-Slavery Australia? Following on from what you just said, Helena, I have always felt very fortunate to live in a country like Australia where we have strong democratic institutions and rule of law. And I think perhaps a lot of people are inclined to think that modern slavery is something that happens in sort of other far off parts of the world and not on our doorstep here in Australia or in the UK, in your case. Uh, but one of the things I came to realise very quickly while working with ASA is that modern slavery it does occur in Australia at quite an alarming rate, really. Uh, but the issue is that it's insidious. People are tricked with the promise of a good job and safe and respectful working conditions, and then they come to find that they were deceived or they're pushed into a marriage that they don't consent to because of family and cultural pressure. And I realised pretty quickly after starting to work with ASA that slavery goes so far beyond what you think of when you picture people in shackles in history books and it's not just something that's taking place in other far off parts of the world, but it's happening here in Australia every day and really it could happen to anyone. Thanks, Sammy. I think that's really important. Um, in fact, you know, slavery is much worse than it ever was back in the days when we thought we'd think of shackles. And, you know, 200 years ago when, when Caroline Ashurst was fighting for the abolition of slavery, it wasn't as, as prevalent then as it is now, which is what's 
incredibly shocking. I think one of the things is that perhaps it was more obvious in those days, whereas these days it can really be hidden in plain sight. It can be workers on construction sites or in restaurants or people who you wouldn't realise have been forced into a marriage that they didn't consent to. And so it really is one of those things that can be very much concealed from outside observers. Yeah, that's a really good point. And so what were the, the highlights of your time when you were at ASA? Uh, working with the survivors of modern slavery was absolutely uh, the most rewarding part of the experience for me. The survivors that ASA work with have experienced pretty unbelievable traumas in their lives. And yet those that I had the privilege of working with were so incredibly warm and kind-hearted and resilient people. And they were determined to heal from their past traumas and go on to leave pretty safe and happy and normal lives. And when you think about it on a very human level, these people are also incredibly brave. When you look at the modern slavery cases that have been before the courts in Australia in recent years, in most cases, the victims and survivors have played a key role in the AFP investigation into the perpetrators of modern slavery and the prosecution of some of these perpetrators. And on one hand, it might seem natural that these survivors would want to see justice served, but to go through the process of reliving the abuse that you've experienced multiple times over in witness statements and in court testimony can be incredibly re-traumatizing. And it can also put survivors at risk of harm if the perpetrators or people within their network seek revenge. So it really is remarkable what some survivors have been through. And it was very gratifying to assist with ASA's work in trying to bring about some positive outcomes for these clients. Wow. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Gosh, yes, it is, it's truly humbling. They're putting themselves potentially in risk and their families and they're so, so scared of the people who have trafficked them. So amazing that they would have the resilience and bravery to do that. Can you perhaps provide us with a case study or an example um, so that our listeners can understand a bit more about how this looks? Yeah, of course. Uh... I think you can take the example of someone who's grown up in another part of the world and lived and worked all their lives in that part of the world. Uh, and that person is then offered the opportunity to travel to Australia to work in a certain industry. So it could be in construction or in hospitality or in the sex industry. And they're told that they will receive a great deal more money if they do and they're their accommodation will be taken care of and they'll have a community of people working with them and so on. Uh, and you can imagine this is a really compelling offer if you're struggling financially and you have family members at home that you need to take care of. And it's not like these offers come from complete strangers. They often come from people who uh, the victim or survivor thinks are their friend. Uh, and so you can see why they would be, they would feel compelled to accept and then someone arranges for their flights and gets them a visa so they can lawfully come to Australia. But once they arrive, uh, they're taken to the place where they are told they will be working uh, and their passport is taken off them and they're told that their travel costs were very expensive and they need to work until they can pay them off. And then once they've paid them off, they will have their passport returned to them. So all of a sudden, what seems like a very uh, exciting and lucrative job prospect becomes a situation where someone finds themselves in a foreign country where they don't know anybody. Uh, they have no identity documents. They're, they often don't speak the language. They're being forced to work 18 hour days in completely horrendous conditions. 
to supposedly pay off this debt when they really have no oversight over how much money they actually owe or how long it will take for them to pay it off. That, I mean, that's it's terrifying, but that's just so common, isn't it? Um, and in terms of um, perhaps we could let the audience know it's so important to, to have somebody to testify against perpetrators. Otherwise, it's really hard to prove that that person was, in fact, a victim of slavery. Is that what what's I don't know what the law is like in Australia compared to to the UK? No, it's that's absolutely the case here as well. And as I, I may have mentioned before, but if you look at the, the modern slavery cases that have gone through the courts in the past few years in Australia, uh, yeah, the, the victims and survivors have played a key role in securing those convictions against the perpetrators of modern slavery. So it really is incredibly important to have organisations like ASA, which work with, you know, which provide a specialist legal clinic for victims and survivors to ensure that as many as many people who have been in this situation receive support to get justice in their cases. Can you give us an example of something you've really taken away from from your experience with Anti-Slavery Australia um, before you came into Ashurst or how that's uh, perhaps shaped you as a, as a trainee in Ashurst? Mm. Well, I think on a personal level, it's encouraged me to become a more conscientious consumer. One thing that's probably not too surprising is that the G20 countries are the leaders when it comes to consumption of goods made by slaves. And so I personally feel that we have a responsibility to be more conscientious when it comes to the decisions that we make as consumers. And there are so many apps and resources available to, to us these days to allow us to take an active interest in the products that we buy uh, and the supply chains that are involved in producing these consumer goods. Yeah, that's. Uh, could you give us an example of an app that, I mean, is there anything that you use? Yeah, of course. So um, I suppose just for background, some some quite at-risk products in terms of modern slavery are things like laptops, uh, clothing, chocolate uh, and cocoa. Resources that I use are the Good On You app, which rates popular clothing brands based on factors such as transparency of supply chains and labour practices. And there's also a website called slavefreechocolate.org, which uh, it primarily deals with US chocolate brands, but it also covers Australian as well. But it provides a list of chocolate companies which are child labour and slavery free. So that can be quite helpful as well. Thanks, Sammy. That's really helpful. Um, Connor, I'm going to ask you the same question. Um, just coming back to you, what did you take away from your experience um, with Anti-Slavery Australia and sort of how did that how did that shape you when you came into the firm and began your career in law has, has that shaped you in any way yeah definitely I think just even getting involved in pro bono stuff in general it really sort of makes you see uh, the the capacity that the firms like Ashes have for positive change and uh, what you can actually do as a lawyer and and how you can help and I think particularly when it comes to the modern slavery space uh, as we've touched on uh, not a lot of people are aware of of how large a problem it is or, or how prevalent it is and I think just having even that that foundation of knowledge to to work off and, and to leverage and uh, I've had other opportunities to to get involved in modern slavery space since I've started uh, and I think just even on a more general level um, 
you know, as, as Sammy touched on, it's made me much more of a conscientious consumer and made me be able to uh, live day to day in a more mindful uh, way. It is, it's fairly easy to look up um, the supply chain of your clothing and certainly some of the larger organisations, um, well, they've been challenged uh, by the likes of Anti-Slavery Australia, Anti-Slavery International, and um, they now do say where their cotton is sourced, how it's been uh, manufactured. So Adela, you're based in London and you've volunteered at Anti-Slavery International. It's slightly different from ASA. Perhaps you could talk about your experience at ASI? Sure. So whilst I was at ASI, I supported three teams. These were the Business and Human Rights Team, International Advocacy and Climate Change and Modern Slavery. Um, in the business and human rights space, I, one of my main tasks was to analyse company responses to the European Commission's consultation on their proposed mandatory human rights and environmental due diligence law. Um, and I also helped to draft a position paper calling for the UK equivalent to that due diligence law in the form of a business, human rights and environment act. In terms of international advocacy, I looked at various universal periodic reviews and US State Department country reports which analysed modern slavery issues in different countries. This really helped me to learn a lot about the geographical variations in modern slavery occurrence and the human rights practices that are used to address that. And then finally, in the climate change and modern slavery space, I assisted with organising the launch event of the report written by ASI in conjunction with the International Institute for Environment and Development on climate-induced migration and modern slavery. Uh, Adela, that was really interesting, that particular piece. Um, and I know I, uh, I had you on my panel for that podcast that was early on in our series of ESG Matters. It was called What's the Link Between ESG and Modern Slavery? It was really interesting to hear about uh, the report that you, ASI and IIED, worked on. If you could summarise it in a pithy way, what is the link between <laughs> modern slavery and climate-induced migration? Sure. So the report itself highlighted three main strands. So following things like tsunamis or cyclones or other devastating sudden events, local people are vulnerable to traffickers and can be driven into forced labour. Um, another way this happens is due to um, slow onset climate change events such as unusual rainfall and increasing temperatures. This often has consequences such as drought, crop failures and food shortages and people who are affected by this can be driven to mig migrate in precarious conditions in search of an alternative livelihood. This can in turn increase their vulnerability to forced labour and sexual exploitation. And then taking those slow onset climate change events combined with conflict may lead people in conflict affected communities to be forcibly displaced or to submit themselves to trafficking, which could potentially result in forced labour and bonded labour. That's really helpful. Thank you. It's, it's, it's fascinating and terrifying in equal measures, isn't it? So Adela, was there anything that you found particularly encouraging in terms of working at ASI, maybe in terms of legislation, changes being made? I think what stood out to me in particular was the European Commission's proposal on mandatory human rights and environmental due diligence. I think this, this is something that ASI had been advocating for for a number of years, so it's been great to watch the development play out in relation to that. Um, it's really helping to bring together the approaches of various EU countries that have already started legislating in that area. And 
when you joined Ashurst as, as a trainee, what did you bring to the party? What, what apart from being fabulous, obviously, um, <laughs> um, what shaped you as a, as a lawyer, as a trainee from your experience at ASI? I think actually one of my tasks at ASI, which I briefly touched on, was analysing those company responses to the um, consultation that the European Commission ran. Um, and it was really great to see the company perspectives on that, which I think was helpful coming into a commercial law firm. And I think that has really helped me whilst I've been here as I've been getting involved in some ESG work that I didn't anticipate getting involved with, but that's been um, my anti-slavery experience has been really useful with that. So for example, preparing slides for client training on ESG matters. And it's been really great to see kind of both, both perspectives from sort of the, the NGO space whilst I was at Anti-Slavery International and then from the, the company space now that I have been at Ashurst. That's a really good point, isn't it? Because obviously we work with these clients and it's good to be able to understand um, the challenges that they're facing, isn't it? Um, you know, trying to meet legislation in really challenging times and still run their businesses and compete with their competitors um, and still try and do their best with ESG particularly and that link between modern slavery and their environmental targets is is really complex isn't it definitely and it's been really encouraging to see that companies are really enthusiastic about kind of addressing these issues and it's been really rewarding actually to to see that from both perspectives yeah, that's a really good point. Thanks, Adela. And is there anything else um, that you were educated about, perhaps, through your time at ASI and in terms of modern slavery issues? I think it's just helped me to view current events with a different through a different lens, really. So, for example, the situation in in Ukraine now it's it's enabled me to look at it from a sort of anti-slavery perspective. For example, the anti-slavery anti-slavery commissioners report highlighted um, matters such as conflict in general heightening vulnerability to trafficking there were concerns about the homes for ukraine scheme in terms of risks of human trafficking and exploitation in the matching process there are limited checks on the hosts and the lack of long-term oversight and ukrainians who were already in the uk under the seasonal workers visas were seen as already being in a precarious position in terms of risks of human trafficking and exploitation which was then exacerbated by the war and sort of a wider climate of insecurity and fear and the broader political climate around immigration and asylum which has created difficult conditions in which to respond so i think that the anti-slavery international experience that i had has really helped me to consider the modern slavery angles of these current events that we watch unfold. Perhaps going back to Connor, outside of policy and legal assistance, what, what are some of the practical ways you've seen organisations tackle the problem of modern slavery? Yeah, so um, I it was one of my key areas of interest, I think, was uh, getting to research and, and delve into sort of these international uh, organizations that are trying to practically reduce modern slavery and, and prevent modern slavery at, at its core. And in particular, one that jumps out to me is an American organization called Truckers Against Trafficking. Uh, obviously, 
truckers were the last group I expected to be making such a large impact in the modern slavery space. Um, but once once you start delving down into the to the literature, uh, truckers, bus drivers, and those involved in the transport industry more generally are the kinds of people that come into contact with human trafficking and modern slavery far more than the average member of society. Um, so Truckers Against Trafficking is aimed at educating and providing resources to these people, doing things like placing materials in truck stops and bus depots and, and providing truckers with bumper stickers and, and, a, and a helpline or a, or a hotline and giving support to these people being trafficked via these facilities. So if, for instance, someone's being uh, human trafficked or um, brought in from another country, they, they might go into a truck stop bathroom or a, or a rest stop and, and see these materials and, and be able to reach out when maybe they wouldn't otherwise think that they could. Um, so from a from a UK perspective, I'm sort of wondering, how does that work in Australia? Because obviously um, in the UK and uh, in, in America, it's fairly easy for truckers to cross borders um, in Europe and, and, and US. Um, so how does that work in Australia? Because obviously you're a big island and it's quite hard to get into the country. So can you explain in practical terms what that looks like in similarly in Australia? It can happen sort of the the the, the regular way in, in that these people legally enter the country or they might um, fly into the country uh, as a normal working tourist or a, or a normal tourist would. Uh, but then once they arrive, uh, their sponsor or the person that they thought would be their employer uh, will confiscate their passport or, the, or their papers uh, and then uh, they'll be subjected to debt bondage or you know, just not allowed to leave. And obviously these are people in a, in a foreign country with no documentation uh, and they're effectively sort of reduced to illegal immigrants in their own mind. Uh, and it creates a real culture of fear because, um, yeah, as you said, um, once you're in Australia, it's very hard to, to leave without a plane or a boat. Um, uh, but at the same time, human trafficking can still occur here and is still a big problem here, despite what um, many people might think. Um, anything else that you you learned from the truckers against trafficking? I think it's about being resourceful and inventive. Obviously, these these large scale government reforms and initiatives are, are really great. But um, you know, seeing people on the ground do do their bit to to help people and, and shine a light on these very dark places and and um, brave victims was was really uh, heartening and, and empowering. I think. Uh, and, and just being able to realize that sometimes even, even the smallest things can make such a big difference to these people's lives. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, Sammy, have you got any other examples? I know you shared one earlier, um, perhaps outside of policy and legal assistance, any practical ways that you've seen organizations tackle modern slavery? Yeah, I think for me, the example that comes to mind is an organisation called the Freedom Hub, which runs here in Sydney. And the Freedom Hub is a, a social enterprise that it combines a cafe and a venue space and what they call the Survivor School. And it's all designed to uh, mentor and encourage and empower uh, victims and survivors of human trafficking. And so there's a cafe and a, yeah, an event space that they use to to fund the survivor school but it also provides an opportunity for members of the survivor school to to work and to get some experience working in a cafe or an events sort of environment and then the survivor school is designed to work with uh, victims of slavery 
and provide mentoring and support and help those people rebuild, rebuild confidence and, uh, yeah, really empower them to go back out into the world. That's really interesting. So I actually visited the, the Freedom Hub when I was in Sydney. So big shout out to Sally Irwin, who sat, set that up. And I know that you can just pop over there for a coffee during the day, as well as hire their space for venues. So yeah, if you're in Sydney, check it out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so just to finish, just to wrap up, have we got reason to be optimistic as we look ahead? I think it's uh, it's very encouraging to see the commitment to pro bono increasing both within the firm and uh, with the clients that we work with. And uh, more personally, I think it's something that I've seen speaking to other graduates in my cohort. I can see that pro bono and causes such as anti-slavery and the work that anti-slavery Australia is doing is something that is really important to a lot of juniors within the firm and something that juniors really want to get behind. And so I think with attitudes like that within the firm and uh, within our client, our group of clients as well, I think that's something to be optimistic about. Thanks. Connor, how about you? Yeah, I think uh, in, 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 on one hand, uh, the, the, I think the social consciousness has become uh, a lot more uh, involved in, in sustainability and ESG and, and things like that more generally. And I think that's really heartening to see. Uh, and I, I definitely see it becoming uh, more in the public consciousness and, and more something that's talked about and, and supported. Uh, and I think also the kind of work that ASA does and uh, other organisations within Australia, like um, the Mindaroo Foundation uh, has been heavily involved and, and supported by um, quite prominent people within Australia. And I think it's definitely gotten a lot more attention. I'm hoping that, that moving forwards, uh, that, that kind of involvement and presence in the space only increases. Thanks, Connor. Adela, anything to add? Yeah, just to echo what um, Connor and Sammy have said, I think this is something that is really gaining momentum and people are really enthusiastic and passionate about. And I think that can only be a good thing moving forward that it's at the forefront of our minds. And even actually the existence of the Caroline Ashurst Award in itself has been something that's really highlighted the importance of it. And I think I can speak for all of us to say that we're really grateful for having this experience and that's really helped to inform our um, own perspectives on this. Thank you so much. So I'd just like to thank you all. Um, Sammy, thank you so much for coming in today and for discussing your experience of the Caroline Ashurst Award. Thank you, Helena. And thank you, Adela and Connor. It's been a pleasure to speak with you all. Connor, um, likewise, it was really interesting to hear about your experience with Anti-Slavery Australia. Thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure. Thank you. Adela, thank you so much for coming in. Um, it was great to have that different perspective and hear about Anti-Slavery International as well. Thank you. I always really enjoy talking about this issue. Thank you for listening to ESG Matters at Ashurst. To hear more Ashurst podcasts, including our dedicated series on all things ESG, head over to ashurst.com forward slash podcasts. To ensure you don't miss future episodes, please feel free to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave us a rating or review. Thanks very much for listening and goodbye for now.
If you enjoy ESG Matters at Ashurst, why not check out our other two podcast series as well? Ashurst Business Agenda tackles the big strategic issues that business leaders face. And Ashurst Legal Outlook explains the emerging legal trends and requirements of our fast-changing world. You can listen and subscribe to Business Agenda and Legal Outlook wherever you get your podcasts.